welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And as this year is coming to a close, I cannot believe how fast the holidays went, Bridget. Oh my gosh. Uh, As this year is coming to a close, Bridget and I had decided that the last 10 days of the holidays, or the last 10 days of 2023, I should say, we are going to post the most popular episodes, most downloaded episodes of this year. And we are up to number five. So we thought this week we'll just post number five, which is ADHD in Adult Women with Dr. Zoe Martinez. And Dr. Martinez has over 20 years of experience working with patients. She's board certified in child and adolescent psychiatry as well as adult psychiatry. And she came on to talk about ADHD in women, which is something like it's the perfect storm. It's not enough we're going through menopause. It's not enough that our hormones are off the charts, that anxiety is coming our way. But we're finally having women be diagnosed with ADHD when it's appropriate. And it's like, how many more things? (laughs) <laughs> Could, how, many, how many more things are falling apart or falling off? And I think I've said, gosh, for someone who's relatively healthy, I sure go to the doctor a lot. <laughs> and it is amazing. I think about when I was younger, I'd maybe go once a year, you know, and now it's like, oh my gosh, it's like it's all maintenance. twice a month at least. <laughs> Doing something somewhere with some doctor somewhere. But it is amazing, you know, with ADHD and women and how women are often underdiagnosed because we're not as hyper as the hyperactivity. You know, it's wonderful that it's coming to the forefront as a conversation because a lot of women suffer, again, in silence. We choose to just live with stuff. Oh, I just, I can't multitask or... I can't focus on something or I hope or focus on something. And it's not you. There are doctors out there that can evaluate, can talk to you. And if necessary or if appropriate, you can get medication for it. When we were talking about the top 10 episodes, I wanted to just share them so that you know what to look for in our uh, catalog of men, because we have over 200 plus episodes, but the top 10 I feel like David Letterman. Was David Letterman the top 10? Yes, he was. He was. So the top 10, number 10, was which menopausal woman can take hormone therapy with Dr. Carol Cool? Number nine, how to disrupt your anxiety with therapist Lynn Lyons. Number eight, menopause research and solutions with Dr. Alyssa Jackson. Number seven, how food affects our mood with Mary Beth Albright. Number six, Susie Orman talks money and the ultimate retirement. That was such a good one, guys. That really, was, if you yeah. haven't listened to it. Today's is number five, ADHD in adult women with Dr. Zoe Martinez. Mm-hmm. Number four, the latest menopause news was Dr. Stephanie Fabian and Anne Garnier. Number three, boost your metabolism with dietitian Barbie Bowles. Number two, building lean muscle mass and bone strength with Dr. Vonda Wright. And Bridget, would you like to share the number one most downloaded episode yes. for 2023? Is talking about Ozempic with Dr. Heather Hirsch. Yes. So that's that's really been a hot 
cool topic, topic yes. right now, you know, really. So we're going to talk all about that and and her thoughts on that. Um, Ozempic and, and hormone therapy with Dr. Heather yes. Hurst. Today's episode is a replay of ADHD in adult women with Dr. Zoe Martinez. Let's get started. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, everybody. We are really thrilled today to have Dr. Zoe Martinez on. Um, she is a psychiatrist. She also has worked with not only children and adolescents, but also in adult psychiatry. So this really gives her a really great look into what we're going to focus on today, which is ADHD, specifically in adults. Thank you so much for coming, Dr. Martinez. My pleasure. I thought maybe the best place to start would be, can you just talk about what ADHD is? Because we're going to talk about, you know, having diagnoses later in life of ADHD. Okay. So in general, um, it is a mental health disorder, um, so attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Sometimes people still use ADD, which is not is not an official term anymore, That, but it, it does describe one of the cardinal symptoms of ADHD, so attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which uh, there are three major components of that. One is inattentiveness and everything that goes along with that. So having difficulty focusing during, it could be a boring meeting, a conversation, being easily distractible, having trouble organizing or staying on tasks, so all of those things that have to do with inattentiveness. Hyperactivity is more the motorically, like, uh, manifestation of that being having a hard time sitting still, um, like, you know, kind of twiddling, doodling, like, those are the things we see more in kids and we especially see more in males. So we know that males, in, even in childhood, are more likely to get diagnosed because they're the ones that are like running around the classroom, climbing on things, um, having, a, having difficulty like just being able to be still, um, which is different than not being able to focus. And then impulsivity goes along often with the hyperactivity with like, you know, kids, this is often more in children seen than in adults, like running out into the street without looking like all the things that make jumping off the monkey bars. <laughs> you know, those, those are the, I mean, the, you can see some of those features in adults, especially if they're, you know, in conjunction with other mental health disorders. But I would say, since we're focusing mostly on women, the biggest subtype of ADHD that we see in women is the inattentive type, which again, it used to be called ADD. And that can lead to a lot of problems um, with succeeding in school, succeeding at work, sometimes succeeding in personal relationships when another individual doesn't feel like you're really listening to them because the truth is you aren't. Um, and if someone talks too long, it's like, what? And it's not out of rudeness, but it can be perceived that way. So that's, um, but because it's kind of the quiet symptom of ADHD, we find a lot of girls, especially intelligent girls, don't get diagnosed until they kind of get to a point in their schooling or their career with their inattentiveness and ability to focus can't be overcome by their, uh, you know, by the other tools that they have, like their IQ, they're, you know, making schedules for themselves, other things they're finding, they're having trouble, they're starting to like not pay attention in meetings. Maybe I've had, I actually have a very dear friend who kind of got to a point in her career of being an advancement, very intelligent person. She's just like, I cannot sit through these meetings. And she didn't literally mean she couldn't say it, just she wasn't absorbing anything. So she's like, I hope no one looks at my notepad because I'm like, I'm, I'm like seriously doodling on it instead of taking notes. What traits women have specifically in midlife 
that can be attributed to ADHD, and then we can so, get to the medicine. So sometimes hormonal changes, so an individual that doesn't have a prior ADHD diagnosis or doesn't have prior ADHD symptoms, um, so one of the things that happens in menopause, for example, or perimenopause, is that levels of certain um, neurotransmitters, including dopamine, which is one of the ones that really drives us and helps us to focus, um, can go down. And that can lead to problems with memory and concentration and appearing to be forgetful. And that can be like a new onset thing that happens as a result of hormones. People sometimes describe that in menopause, but also sometimes people have described that, women describe that when they're pregnant. They have pregnancy brain. They misplace where they put something like, why am I in the kitchen? Like, and and it, that's, it, fortunately, in pregnancy, it's usually temporary once you start to sleep again. <laughs> but in menopause, also, there are disruptions in neurotransmitter cycles so that you can see things that look like inattention, forgetfulness. Um, those are probably two of the big things. And they may be um, a resurgence or an exacerbation of ADHD symptoms in someone who already had ADHD, but it could also just be hormonal changes related to, you know, that changes in neurotransmitters in your brain um, going down. And it, so this could be someone who never had ADHD before, but is somehow finding themselves having trouble paying attention in conversations, being forgetful about where they put things. And we all misplace our keys sometimes, for example, but like really doing that a lot. Some things that are less characteristic of ADHD, which would be, for example, word finding difficulties, that's not usually a symptom of ADHD. That's more probably a symptom of uh, the hormonal changes. So a different kind of forgetfulness. And it can be hard to tease that out if someone hasn't had a diagnosis of ADHD already. The most important thing, though, is to be really non-judgmental with oneself, um, to just notice things as much as possible, like kind of like you were on a fact-finding mission, like, okay, hmm, it seems like in the past week, like, or once a month, I have this problem, or now that my body's changed and I'm pregnant, I have this problem, or now that I'm, you know, I'm starting to see changes in my cycle and other things, uh, I'm noticing things, these things, and then to talk about them with a, a clinician that you trust without judgment and someone who has the time to talk to you so that they're not just like, oh, okay, let me just give you a prescription and get you out of here. Like, hopefully help you understand and help you make an informed decision about what's the best way to manage these things because they're they're not, quote, all in your head. They're real uh, neurophysiological changes. I wanted to throw out a few of the statistics that I actually saw on the Dunn website, and we'll talk about Dunn in a few minutes. But it says that 75% of ADHD in adults goes undiagnosed, and that 50% of women are less likely to get diagnosed. What do you attribute the diagnosis dilemma, for lack of a better word, for women? What do you attribute that to, that we're just... We just go, we just kind of write it off and, and keep going with our day or what would you say? So, yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. So first of all, like the overall percentage of people who aren't diagnosed already, like males and females as adults is high because as I said, they often have other coping mechanisms depending on your age. So, um, so children now are probably more likely to get diagnosed because it's become more socially acceptable. But if you're talking about women in their, you know, fifties, um, it was more taboo to even bring up those kinds of issues, especially if you just had a little girl who seemed like she was, quote, daydreaming a lot in class. 
that wasn't enough for anyone to think that they should bring their child to a doctor and maybe even talk about medicine, never mind talk about. So a lot of people just kind of grew up saying that she's flighty or she's she daydreams a lot or and that little girl figured out and then young lady figured out and, and then woman figured out a way to kind of get through it and to manage like, you know, what it, which, without thinking that, hey, maybe there's something wrong. And, and I would say that although typically adult males don't have the same degree of hyperactivity and impulsivity that they would have had as children. Some of them, when they reflect back, they realize some of them were actually diagnosed or something was picked up in children in childhood, even if it wasn't treated. So they're like, Oh yeah, I was always the class clown or I was always doing something that attracted their behavior attracts other people's attention. And I think women culturally are encouraged to whatever's going on in your head, you're just supposed to keep it quiet and just kind of blame yourself whether it's a hormonal change or whether it's having ADHD symptoms or whether it's, you know, having anxiety. Um, so a lot of women grow up, um, feeling like maybe they're just not that smart. Well, I'm just dumb. This is just me. I'm not good at these things. So, so they don't really, they don't really complain about it. And then sometimes something happens that exacerbates the symptoms enough, whether again, it's a more challenging position at work, or I think, um, I think having to, to, for COVID, I think actually brought this up for some people having to work from home where there, you didn't have your office and there were more distractions and maybe you have kids or other, or a life partner or something and other people, like it's not your office and you were having to pay attention to multiple screens. So I think that was also one of the things that maybe happened for some people with done and just saying, I, I literally can't do my work when there's like, you know, I've got like eight screens open and like my kids are asking me for a sandwich or whatever, or to fill out some form for school. It's like, I can't, I can't get things done anymore. So I think we, we saw an increase in women saying, I think I've had this my whole life, but I never asked for help. You know, you also brought up the stigma uh, that goes with that. So I think, unfortunately, like a lot of mental health diagnoses, rather than people seeing it as an illness, like, you know, if someone has allergies or they have diabetes or something, you just think, well, of course, I'm going to get them treatment because it's a mental health thing that like occurs in this mysterious organ of the brain. Um, there's a, a lot of stigma about like, well, it's your fault. Like untreated ADHD often leads to other things like sometimes depression and anxiety disorders because this kid grows up thinking that either they're, they're lazy, they're stupid, they don't have enough willpower. Like, so that basically if they just had the will, they could overcome these things instead of seeing it as, okay, this is, it's a brain illness. It's, it's a very treatable one. It's not severe. It, I would say the stigma and getting treated as an adult for the first time is really hard because some, and, and it has been made more difficult to some extent by some of our, I'm not going to talk about politics, but just some of the regulations about controlled substances. So if you have a clearly established diagnosis, which is more likely to have occurred if you were male than female, it's easier to, you know, if you meet with a clinician, they say, hey, I think, for example, a stimulant medication, which they are controlled substances and one does need to be careful, but it might be helpful for you. And in an individual who does not have a history of, of, of substance use disorder, it's completely appropriate to treat them with one of these medications. However, because of, you know, there is a cultural stigma not only about the diagnosis, but also about, oh, you can't take addictive drugs. Well, the truth is these drugs are addictive if taken improperly or by people who don't have the diagnosis. So we don't have those issues and people who are correctly diagnosed and take their medications as prescribed, we haven't had problems with that. It's certainly possible that someone 
you know, t- takes someone else's medication and that's not okay. And that certainly happens. And that's a society we live in. But, but I think that it's become a stigma also about, Oh, I'm taking an addictive substance. Well, yes, but many effective uh, medications could potentially be addictive if used in the wrong manner. So that's the second part of the stigma. So one is having a diagnosis, Oh, there's something wrong with me. And all mental health disorders get thrown in that, like you should just will yourself out of them. And then the second problem is that the most effective medications for ADHD are usually stimulants, which are controlled substances. So then it's like, okay, so there's something wrong with me and I'm a drug addict. So two categories of people which frequently are, you know, stigmatized. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. I know that we've had a discussion recently about the stimulant shortage. Can you talk? I know that a lot of people are struggling with that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple components. Of it. I think one of the components is a genuine shortage. Um, so that I, I'm not sure if there was a particular company or a couple companies that just weren't manufacturing enough. But I think that the other is that for some of these medications, they're not terribly expensive, which is a good thing. Um, but that means that when there's a shortage, there's not a lot of pressure for another company to kind of make up for the shortfall. And then in addition, um, I think that there's sometimes pressures on some pharmacies, um, sometimes blatant and we know about it. And sometimes it's just sort of this kind of like, well, if you, if you hand out too many stimulants, you're going to look like, you know, a pharmacy that's doing that too much, like your drug pushers. And that's something I think truthfully that Dunn has also been, you know, accused of like we're just like trying to get people on addictive drugs and that's not true and and I think some of this comes out of the opiate crisis and stimulants are not opiates I'm not saying they can't be addictive but it's it's we're really talking about a different thing so kind of um a lot of this is kind of coming together so there is a shortage an actual shortage in some areas of certain medications but also there's not really a like a political will to you know push this. It's not like a COVID vaccine, for example. Or So there, there's real, everyone's like, well, people should, there's still that stigma. Well, you know, just have a cup of coffee and just make yourself, you know, do this. It's not like, it's not a real problem. Didn't ask specifically about this, but one of the things that sometimes happens to some women as they go through menopause is that their sleep cycles get disrupted, sometimes by hot flashes, just sometimes by their changes, the hypothalamus, which is involved in temperature regulation, is also a component of like helping with circadian rhythms. So that also gets disrupted. Um, and so if you add not paying attention very well and not having a very good memory to also not getting enough sleep, whatever symptoms were there sometimes get more uncovered. So, so I think there are many people that would say, well, why on earth would a 50-year-old woman need to get diagnosed and treated for ADHD? Well, I would say probably she had it her whole life but until all of these things, it was just too many, like the straw that broke the camel's back. So it doesn't mean she didn't have it before, but she found ways to cope. And now you add this one more thing and it's like, okay, now things are falling apart. I'm forgetting to pay bills. I'm forgetting where I put things. I'm forgetting appointments for my, myself or my you know, significant others in my life. And that's not me. If a woman, you know, in her 40s plus decides that, you know, I think I might have ADHD, I wanted to ask you, one, what is the testing to get diagnosed? And two, you work with a platform called DUNN. How does it work with them to get someone diagnosed 
So if it's the same testing, I guess that would be the same. So, it's, so there's no, there's no, I mean, there's kind of one standard. It's a, it's a self rating for adults. It's a self rating scale. We don't have, um, um, there is an adult Connors, which we sometimes use for kids, but mostly there's one. And, and I've worked for a number of companies that, that it's, it's a self rating scale for ADHD symptoms. And then in addition, um, for done, at least there are also people also fill out, um, some information about like medical history to know, for example, if there could be something else going on. So for example, if someone has a seizure disorder or had a traumatic brain injury, some of their symptoms might be, so they might have some of those symptoms, but they might be due to something else. So that's the first step of the process is someone says, Hey, I'm interested in finding out whether or not I have this and all of that information. So a lot of self-rating skills and self, um, and information that people provide, um, that goes to the clinician. So the clinician has that all ready for the first appointment so that we try to make appointments more like efficient and personal. So the rating skill parts are already done. We also do screen in adults for anxiety and depression because some of those symptoms can overlap with ADHD and many of our clinicians will be treating someone for more than one issue. So they may have ADHD, but they may also have anxiety or depression. Um, and all of those things are, are common problems and easily treatable. Um, but we try not to make the person take up their time with the clinician by like filling out rating scales. So that's all, it's all front loaded. So the clinician can look at all that stuff before they see the person. And then hopefully most of the interaction is having a conversation um, whether that's about symptoms or sometimes people are themselves um, because of things that they've heard. They think a medicine might help them, but they're like, I don't want to be on something that's addictive. I've heard, you know, these horror stories, of, you know, so whatever, it's much more tailored to what the individual desires and has questions about so that we don't have to do the screening as part of the one-to-one the, the -one interaction with a clinician. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Mm -hmm. Time well spent. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, time yeah, well yeah. Spent. So yeah. Like, we already have a pretty good idea that the person seems like someone who, you know, we don't know 100%. So go through and verify those things. But yeah, but hopefully that way then. And then we also, I mean, really, I, and I think most of our commissioners really like to give an individual a chance to ask questions about what their particular concerns are or, you know, their, and what their schedule looks like. Like if they were to take a medicine, what would be the best, like what makes the most sense? What does their sleep schedule look like? So we talk about kind of nutrition and like sleep hygiene and those kinds of things as well, because having an overall like good uh, baseline of mental health wellness helps. Mm -hmm. So like, are you getting, are you doing any exercise? Do you take any time for yourself? So, cause sometimes people have unrealistic expectations. It's like, part of the reason that you might not be able to pay attention is that you literally have too much on your plate. So what's in your support system? What can we offload maybe to other people? Mm -hmm. You know, I noticed too on the dumb website that it is offered in a lot of states. I, I, yeah. I tried to count. I think it was 37. But yeah. I was oh, that's really, even more than I was going to say 35. But yeah, it's but a lot of states. Yeah. I, I was just counting on the screen. But okay. I was really pleased to see that because I know that people are really, especially since lockdown, telehealth has become much more prominent. But a lot of you run into a problem where a lot of people can't practice in certain states. And I was really pleased to see this. It's offered in a lot of states. And also the prescription program, um, you, you can do prescriptions, but there's also delivery. I can't remember. It was about 
maybe five states, four or five states. Yeah, we're all, that's something we're always working on to try to help people because even if you are in a state that has a provider, you know, there are some states like California and Texas, for example, that are relatively large. So um, sometimes it's, you know, even to see, even if you could find an in-person person, you're talking about sometimes like a two-hour drive each way. So versus being able to see someone in your home or your office or wherever where you're not spending all of your time commuting to the doctor's appointment. So it's hard to find clinicians. And then, you know, for some people, again, if you live in a large state, you might be spending a lot of that time driving to and from appointments. So really, we're really trying to increase like accessibility is a very big part of what Dennis tried to do is to try to make it easy for people to again to um, because it's hopefully a personal interaction and even though I think because of COVID people have gotten more used to talking to people on this right. way so it feels personalized it's one-to-one -one. it's it's tailored to you um, you have also someone that then that you can send messages to like if you do try something and it's like hey this isn't working or so someone can make adjustments even in between appointments and we really do try to foster a lot of that communication as well and you really feel like you have someone on your team because I really feel like that's how your mental health clinician should be. Like I'm on your team. It's not my goals. Like you're, there's nothing quote wrong with you, but there, you, there are ways you want to optimize your life and I'm here to help. And I don't, and I hope that that doesn't mean driving, you know, two hours to talk to someone for 15 minutes, which unfortunately is the way a lot of traditional healthcare is. And it's not anybody's fault. There's just not enough clinicians. So for women who don't want to take medication for whatever reason, it, you know, they are taking other medication they don't want to add on or you talked about sleep hygiene you talked about diet and exercise is there anything else that they can focus on and I guess focus is no pun it's intended <laughs> um, yeah. that they can do to help get organized or help them focus better so I, I would say that once if once someone knows they have the diagnosis even if if she or he, um, but mostly women. So she elects to like saying, I don't want to go with the medication route at this time. There are actually, once you know, you have that diagnosis, there actually are a lot of sites that support doing things. Many of which some of us already probably do for ourselves, but like to make a calendar to try to have your schedule as regular as possible to have, like, I have my, you know, I have sticky notes on my computer for the things that I know I need to look up frequently or to put reminders on, on your phone. Um, even if it's to like, you know, take 10 minutes and go for a walk. Like, so I think a lot for, for people with ADHD, even without medication, a, a lot like having the most regular schedule you can have is the best. And then also kind of sharing that information with family and friends. So for example, um, family gatherings can be stressful for people with ADHD if there's, if they're very large. So even just if there's a couple people in your family say, Hey, you know, if I need to step outside for a minute, cause I'm like, <laughs> And that it won't be seen as rude. So just, you know, revealing and getting a little bit of support, even if it's without medication, just say, I might need to take a time out, like just to, you know, regroup and I'm not being rude. And, but sometimes, you know, multiple conversations, um, even if it's with family, um, in a safe environment that can help. Also, obviously around the holidays, encouraging people, like, I mean, if you're going to have a glass of wine, that's fine. Maybe don't have more than one and just be very aware of your surroundings because that just, just makes whatever mental capacity you have, you know, can be a little fun, but also can potentially impair that. So just really making conscientious choices, which don't have to be medicine, but just kind of accepting the diagnosis and accepting that because I have this, I have to be a little bit more careful 
And like, I, I might need like five minutes to like clear my head before I drive my car home, for example, because I've just had all of this, like, there's a lot of stuff. So just, you know, personal health, safety, um, and like hopefully being able to tell at least, you know, a friend, a partner, a loving family member, this is what's going on with me. This is what I'm doing about it. It would be great if I had your support. So feeling supported and like, you know, I do have this issue, but I'm taking care of it. And yeah, it doesn't always just have to be medicine. And there, there are support sites. So NAMI, which is um, National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, um, is a is a great kind of peer and family support. So they have something specific to, for ADHD as well. There are other websites, but that's definitely one of my favorite to kind of get some coaching about like, what do you do? Or, hey, maybe I want to go back to school. So I guess people don't think of this necessarily, but I might be 50 years old and decide I, I want to take an art history class. How do I, how do I go about doing that? And it's possible even at that age, even if you're going to community college to qualify, for example, for, um, if you meet with the students for disability office, like I might need extra time on a test or I might need to send it in the front of the class. So you really try not to get in the way of what anybody wants to do with their life and just encourage them to say, Hey, this is, this is something that I'm struggling with, but it isn't me. Like this doesn't define me. It's just something I need to pay attention to. What about employment? Is there anything that someone who is diagnosed with ADHD can do, can talk to their employer about? I didn't know if there were any accommodations. So yeah. def- definitely the Americans for Disabilities Act does cover um, accommodations. I see people using these more in school, but I would certainly encourage anyone, I mean, probably to have a confidential uh, discussion with someone and, and if their company is large enough to have an HR department. Um, but it is covered. I mean, but the first thing is the person has to accept that in, and I hate that, you know, it's called disability, but that is what the legal act is called the Americans for Disabilities Act. Um, and so, but as ADHD does is covered under that. So I would encourage people. And, and I think, you know, it probably depends on your state and your specific industry, but if you are a company large enough in the HR department, I would say, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it is it is a legitimate disability and there may be accommodations that can be made. Again, it's going to depend on the kind of work that you're doing and the state that you're in. But I would definitely, there you should not get in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. And if someone does get in trouble for revealing that information, then that company is in violation of the law. Do you notice some of the adults that come in to get diagnosed with ADHD discover it because their child was diagnosed and all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, that's me. Yes, that's actually happened not only to patients that I see, but also even to my friends who I'm like, you might want to get your, t-, you know, and they're like, oh, so yes, I one of my very dear friends from medical school, like they didn't, her, her husband is very successful, but once their daughter got diagnosed, it's like, hmm. Like and she and and she was like, honey, I've always known that <laughs> we just kind of didn't talk about it. But now, but I think that when parents are saying, when they're able to accept that maybe their child needs treatment, it's like, oh, I think maybe maybe you got this for me. <laughs> I mean, I actually think that myself. <laughs> I think about it myself. I really do. And you know, I'm curious: has there ever been any kind of um, concrete? or any kind of scans or studies done on the brain to figure out why ADHD occurs? So, I mean, so there are people that have done, I think mostly SPECT scans because they're not, um, they're they're kind of not that invasive, but 
in ter- it basically just shows kind of what I talked about, which can happen in multiple states. So not specific just to ADHD where there are, where the neurotransmitter levels are a little different than what you would expect in a quote neurotypical person. And some of those things can be tested during performance of certain tasks. But I mean, in terms of why we have ADHD, I think that's that's probably beyond my pay grade. But I would, but I could argue it's the same. Like, why do we have mental health, you know, issues at all? And my guess is that there, you know, we don't know exactly how genes work. But it's entirely possible that some of the things that sort for ADHD or even more serious disorders like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, maybe they're close to genes that help with creativity. You know, we there's a reason that these things get preserved across cultures and across like so it's not you know it it's it's not a detriment. So I don't think anyone knows exactly why we have ADHD in our population. I think it seems like there's an upsurge, but really it's just an upsurge in diagnosis. It's not it's not like there was a virus that caused everyone to have ADHD. But my guess is it probably co-sorts with some beneficial mental traits, which again, probably include flexibility and thinking, creativity, like other things that we want human beings to have. It's just when it gets, you know, to a point where it's disruptive. And the truth is that many of our work environments are not idealized for creative individuals who may want to work like different schedules. We have a very regimented kind of everyone's I mean, I think COVID actually helped a little bit with that in some ways, made some things worse because it was more distracting. But I think that there are a lot of people, for example, that are not really looking forward to going back to their offices because they've been able to find work schedules that work better for him, for them. And so I think we are, you know, many cultures, but I would say definitely the American puritanical culture of the sort of like working from this time to this time with this much of a lunch break isn't optimal for lots of people. Um, but I think we do want people to be, again, creative and enthused about different things and even maybe to have, you know, more energy at certain times. So people who work on projects. So I think outside of certain industries, so in tech, for example, in more creative fields, I think that ADHD might even be an asset for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not, it's not, it, yeah. So it kind of depends on what kind of job you have. It's not always a detriment as long as it's so that we're I mean, basically, that's also what we talk about. It's like, if you just want to know whether or not you have ADHD, but it's not hurting you, then we wouldn't probably recommend you get it treated just so that you're aware of it and that you pay attention to, is it causing problems in my life? If it's not, it just can be part of your personality and it's fine. As long as it hasn't, you know, caused any kind of poor self-esteem or any kinds of other issues. So and that's interesting because, like you're saying, if it's not affecting your ability to live your life, then it's just a factor. It's just something to know and and maybe make accommodations in your own personal life for that. A lot of people don't want to have to go to a doctor to get a diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about Done, what it is, and why it was created? So, um, so the, the founder of Done created um, Done basically to try to help people access. Um, like care more readily. Most of our clinicians are actually um, specially trained nurse practitioners. So they are PMHMPs. So they are um, maybe more approachable than doctors. They are people who can prescribe medication because a lot of people, that is what they're looking for. Right now, so Dunn does, they're, depending on the state, there are some contracts with therapy groups if someone just wants a referral for therapy so they can go through the process and then say, hey, maybe you want to work with a therapist, especially if they're 
seem like there are other issues that might be more pressing. So sometimes someone goes through the process and it seems that although they may have ADHD symptoms, what's really causing them to have issues in their life is more of a depression and they don't necessarily want medicine. So we really try to do as best we can a thorough assessment in a very non-threatening environment, which I think, um, again, especially with COVID now, people got kind of used to seeing people on the screen. So they choose their environment, they choose their time, and it's not the same thing as um, going to a traditional doctor's appointment. Well, we'll make sure to put um, the link to Dunn in the show notes so that people who are interested in learning more can get the link right there. Thank you so Great. much, Dr. Martinez. Thank we you. appreciate Thank the you. information. Thank you. Yeah, Thank we you. always it's, learn so much. Yeah, <laughs> It's been lovely speaking with both of you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Zoe Martinez, for talking to us today and really bringing up the issue of ADHD in adult women. If you have a question, let us know. Hot flashes, cold topics at gmail.com. Check us out. Check our websites out. Check YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook group, all the things. And, you know, you can listen to us on any podcast platform rate and review that really helps us and gets it out gets our podcast out to other women that really need some help and make sure you share this with your friends because they might be having issues and talking about it and say hey uh, there's this podcast they talk about all this stuff it's hot flashes and cool topics so just check it out and we hope that you have a wonderful new year just have we hope 2024 is even better but we want to thank you so much for being a listener to hot flashes and cool topics and have a wonderful new year. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk to you in January. Bye.